At the very best, a mind enclosed in language is in prison. It is limited to the number of relations which words can make simultaneously present to it, and remains in ignorance of thoughts which involve the combination of a greater number. These thoughts are outside language. They are unformulable. Although they are perfectly rigorous and clear, and although every one of the relations they involve is capable of precise expression in words. So, the mind moves in a closed space of partial truth which may be larger or smaller without ever being able so much as to glance at what is outside. So, that's a quote from Simone Weil's essay Human Personality, written in the last year of her short but quite extraordinary life. Um... And I'm John Fanning, and this is the Create with John Fanning podcast. How's it going out there? I uh, hope you're all doing well amidst all this chaos or craziness of coronavirus. Uh, here in Portland, Maine, it's doesn't seem to have exploded yet and taken over the hospitals as it has done back in Ireland and... France, uh, from what I've been told from friends and family, um, the same thing's happening here. People are unaware of just how pervasive it's going to become. But I hope you're all sequestered somewhere safe and that you and your yours are healthy. Anyway, um, so this is episode seven of my series of episodes on imagination and creativity more so imagination as i went into before based around my book create um so i suppose i used to be in a prison um what i discussed before the prison of creativity something uh as i said i talked about in depth when i explained how ursula le guin made me understand that creativity is been co-opted by corporations and academia but that imagination is still available to us as a relatively uncorrupted or co-opted word um so imagination which hasn't been as co-opted is one of the ways of breaking out of what i will be talking about today lexical prisons as such um so today i want to talk about Lexical prisons, something that Simone Weil referred to at the beginning of that quote, how a mind enclosed in language is in prison. Uh, last time I spoke about school and education and how the Industrial Revolution and a utilitarian way of educating can be detrimental to the imagination and inspiration of our young people. Uh, leading them away from creativity instead of potentially opening doors towards inspiration and enthusiasm and, and the imagination. Uh, creating schools, having created somewhat of a lexical prison itself in in the language that they use in teaching. Uh, that grad grind quote again of facts alone are wanted in life. Um, the words that were given are the words that center us around how it is that we think. 
For example, uh, in this podcast, I don't curse. And uh, as people who know me will know, this is very difficult for me, or at least it was when I first started out uh, doing it, to, to not curse, that is. And why is that? Well, because where I grew up, uh, we all cursed. Most of my close friends who listen to this podcast are probably thinking, why isn't, or why aren't I, why am am I not cursing? Why is John not cursing? Um, and that me speaking the way I am, the, the language I'm using is not me. Uh, that I'm a kind of, that I'm in a kind of prison by not letting myself express myself with curses, which is, cursing is totally acceptable for Irish males as that's our cliched reputation. Part of our culture of crack, our, this kind of maverick, iconoclastic booking the system. And don't get me wrong, I love listening to the Blind Boy podcast and still curse when I'm having a laugh with friends and family. But um, for a podcast, I didn't want to divorce myself from listeners just because I curse. Because people automatically judge you when you curse, even though culturally it's something that we do a lot of in Ireland, or at least the Ireland I grew up in. So why did I stop? Um, because when I stepped back to look at my way of communicating, I also realized... Um, I was in a lexical prison. Um, I noticed when I left my country for a long time that I was I was cursing a lot more than everyone else. But more importantly, the curses were taking up the space where adjectives, nouns, phrases should have been. And I'm a writer. I'm all about words, how they're arranged on the page, which ones are left out, how long the sentence is. But when I cursed, I didn't have as much control of what I wanted to express because words should have been there, that should have been there, were absent. And I saw this as, as destructive, not creative. It moved me away from creativity and the imagination, or away from my imagination, um, away from using the right word or words because they were being replaced with expletives. Uh, I had replaced myself involuntarily into a prison of language. And if we think of words as leading to our destiny in a way, then this lexical kind of awareness becomes even more important. Um, Gandhi, as Gandhi put it once, our thoughts become our words our words become our actions and our actions become our character and our character becomes our destiny. So I had been taught to marginalize myself from more eloquent people in Ireland, presumably the better off people who went to specific schools, as I talked about a little in the last uh, episode. Um, teenagers who hardly cursed the kids who were educated at 
say, Belvedere College or Trinity, um, because it wasn't what they were taught. Uh, they didn't have to curse to feel included with their peers because their peers were hardly cursing. So, uh, so this is one form of the lexical prison that I'm trying to uh, get into here. So in in psychology, they they have what they call applied psychology. A lot of you are probably aware of this, which basically means giving access to marginalized people uh, the tools they need to deal with the anxiety and pain they are in. And this access comes with language. For example, how can a person who has anxiety know how to deal with a panic attack if they don't even have the words to express it. Just those two words, panic and attack, could help so many if they had access to that language. So language is a tool that can help them with the prison of their own anxiety to to alleviate their anxiety. First, uh, an individual can accept what happens or is happening to them as normal that we all get panicked at some stage. And that's the first step out of a lexical prison, access to a new language that allows the individual to see they're not alone. And this reduces the suffering. And secondly, it helps the individual realize that there must be more language out there to help them understand what it is they are going through and what we are all going through or some of us going through specific things. So this is why uh, we need to democratize creativity, democratize the imagination, just like we need to democratize psychology because when we don't have a language, we can't speak to other people who speak that language in the same way. And if we don't have a language of creation, then we can't speak to people about creating something without thinking we've no idea what we're talking about. As opposed to, like, as opposed to simply having psychology in the universities and available to people of a certain socioeconomic class, it needs to be available to everyone, uh, democratized, applied psychology as such. So it's it's almost as if we need an applied creativity or, more importantly, an applied imagination, um, just like we need applied psychology. All the people, all people need access, not just the few, because the few is not democracy. The few is oligarchy. And oligarchic psychology and oligarchic creativity is simply not healthy for the larger population. Only the few. Um, Which is the whole reason I'm doing this podcast is to, when I get down about, oh, why bother doing this? um, This is one of the reasons why I continue. It's it's so that I can... help in some way to democratize creativity and uh, or more more importantly democratize imagination um 
to allow other people to have a language uh, that's free, you know. They can just download a podcast and listen to this. Uh, even if at times uh, I myself feel like I'm not using my real voice by not cursing um, because I want to practice what I preach by using uh, applied creativity, by not allowing the few to have access to expression. Just because I came from a different socioeconomic class when I was a kid. So, I think it's really important that everyone should have access to creative tools. Just like everyone should have access to psychological tools. And so what I'm trying to say is that this podcast is my way of creating an applied creativity. Just like psychologists create applied psychology to help everyone, and especially those who don't have access to democratize creativity and the imagination. Just like with applied psychology, we need adaptive tools to unlearn negative or unhealthy behaviors, what I've been calling walls away from creativity and imagination. So we need applied creativity uh, what I've called doors towards imagination, to unlearn all our unhealthy artistic behaviors. And these lexical prisons are a wall, uh, just like the many other walls I've been talking about. And again, uh, to further this way of thinking, with awareness, by knowing our creative enemy, our creative enemies as such, the walls again, uh, we can reduce a lot of the anxiety about not being a creative person or, for example, feeling like a failure for not creating something perfect on our, uh, on our first attempt. So adaptive tools, adaptive and applied creativity help us recognize when we're falling into a trap or moving towards a wall. Another way kind of to look at lexical prisons is to talk about cursing again. Um, again, the idea of podcasts. They have um, parental advisory labels on certain podcasts. And this is the beauty of podcasts. People can step outside their lexical prisons and curse as much as they want to. Like um, the Irish podcaster Blind Boy, who I mentioned earlier, he curses a lot, but it doesn't take away from how eloquent he is or how intelligent he is. It actually allows him to express himself fully. He lives in Ireland permanently, so it would be inauthentic if he didn't curse because of where he comes from. But for me, I'm an immigrant, and because I've had to look at the way I express myself, because if I say certain words blind boy says over here in the States, people are disgusted and will judge me. And I'm not a comedian like, say, Bill Burr, who on his Monday podcast can go and curse as much as he wants because that's part of his shtick and his sense of humor, which is wonderful too. And he can get away with saying certain words because he can just f fall back to... I'm a comedian, don't take me seriously. Um, so I've 
So I've used this as a way of analysing my own specific lexical prison and adapted to the culture I'm living in so as not to upset people on the street because I'm Irish and I'm American. Um, and I'm not saying I won't be cursing in interviews. I do later on, though. <laughs> It'll be very hard for me not to, uh, especially if I'm in a, being in a chilled-out atmosphere and just trying to... It's actually f funny because it's actually a way of unmasking or allowing people to be comfortable at times, which is ironic in itself. When I start to curse more, people then feel more comfortable because in... In reality, they feel like, oh, yes, this is the Irish guy. Uh, he curses, so I'm comfortable in this format. So, but in this format, I am just trying to be clear with what I'm trying to say in each, in each episode. So, so I'm not saying I won't be cursing in interviews, but uh, because then I'll be with people I know, not out in the street or in a store. Of course, there's the other idea of on TV and syndicated radio, it's the complete opposite. Uh, they have to rely on advertisers and foundations uh, to support the salaries of their broadcasters. So people like Blind Buy would be muzzled uh, which would be awful for us and his creativity and his imaginative flow, which is unfortunate because most people aren't able to talk the way they would with friends and family, which means there's a lack of honesty, a lack of authenticity um, to their voices because they're hampered by the language of whatever broadcaster they're working for. And then they're hampered by the political perspective of whoever owns the TV show. So the words they use are brought under censorship, which is another form of lexical imprisonment. For example, I used to think the people in America were super puritanical and conservative and overly polite, but I was wrong. Uh, when you get to know Americans, when you're here, when you listen to them on podcasts, you re when you meet them in the streets, you realize they can be as harsh and forward-thinking as anywhere else. But it's just those voices are not what are seen or heard on the lexically hampered mainstream media. So our language contributes to our culture. The way we speak, the words we use and don't use um, condition how we relate to others, how we feel and how we think. For, ex for example... Um, why are words like passion, enthusiasm, madness, inspiration, why are they not used more often in a positive way? Well, because we've been taught, consciously or not, to use words like like or interesting or phrases such as I'm on a deadline or I don't know. I don't know. Sentences, sentences, sentences such as like, I don't know, like, if I like, it's interesting, like, you know, like. What is that sentence actually about? What's it actually saying? Nothing. That's what it's saying. Absolutely nothing. So it's much like if I was to go expletive, I don't know, expletive, 
if I expletive, it's interesting expletive, it'd be the same thing. What's that sentence actually about? Well, it's actually saying nothing. And so instead of those, that kind of a language, if we step back from that and we look at it and listen to it, analyze it a bit, um, instead of a deadline, can't we have a due date? Can't we give birth to a creation as opposed to dying if we don't get over some imaginary deadline? Instead of, I don't know, can't we just say how we feel about what we're uh, responding to? I don't understand what you are saying. I don't understand what you're saying. As opposed to the non-committal nonsense phrase, I don't know. Instead of saying something is interesting can't we say that really inspires me or that makes me so enthusiastic or i'm passionate about you know so words are phrases that can replace these non-committal phrases so when people use phrases like these we need to be aware because they are creating doors towards creativity when they're positive and the world of the ima and to moving towards the world of the imagination they're stepping away from the walls of lexical prisons into the world of creation by not um using words like uh, throwaway words like interesting or i don't know you're being forced to think or to formulate a, a feeling or expression and so every country has these lexical prisons. Uh, in America, they use the word interesting all the time. Well, or at least they used to. Um, it's a language prison because some of the time people are basically saying what you're saying is not interesting. They're actually saying, please shut up now. Oh, that's interesting. Or, oh, interesting. The, this doesn't mean something cannot, can't be interesting. It can, but it all depends on the person's delivery. Are they saying it with enthusiasm? With a positive intention, that is. And in Ireland, we curse a lot. I think it's because of our servile psyche, but that's another whole thing. Uh, as I said before, I had to teach myself not to curse in public. Again, the cursing was, or cursing was, yeah, a lexical prison for me made me say things in a crude way without actually saying anything. There were a lot of expletives in my responses, but not a lot of substance. And again, as a writer, I should be able to express myself with words that show how I feel, the right words, or at least an approximation of trying to arrive at the right words. And a lot of the time we need to get out of our country to experience or understand our own lexical prisons, like I did with cursing. Or when I noticed Americans using interesting in France for everything compared with English English or Australian English or Canadian English or New Zealander English where they hardly used it at all unless something was actually really interesting. So changing our geography, changing where we are can change our perception of the reality we grew up in, where we come from. Because we get away from the walls of our lexical ecosystem, out of our lexical habitat as such, and walk 
through the door towards new creative opportunities. Joyce uh, actually has a good example when he wrote, Ireland is the old sow that eats her own farrow. Not the most positive thing to say about your, your country, but Joyce was honest and created beauty away from the lexical prison he was born into. He did so by escaping and looking in at the world that he came from, from the outside. So phrases, ways of speaking, stop us from having opinions at times. Oh, that's interesting. Or, ah, that's interesting. It's not an opinion, really. It's it's not an opinion. It's Cursing is not an opinion. Uh, sometimes they're both just a form of giving up. Because you put put a you put a lock around yourself or you lock yourself inside the walls of your own lexical prison. Words such as like do the same like like this or I did like that's like the way it is like uh it's like filler. Um it doesn't actually say anything. You know yourself like it's it's noise. Uh, it has no substance. Uh, another example um, would be we used to run these art expos for a few years at at our retreat um, when we first started out and people would come from all over the mountains, the Montagne Noire, <laughs> to see the art and they'd drink and they'd have a laugh. But there was one old man, uh, the mayor, uh, who wouldn't come in. He's a good friend of mine. And he being a good friend, I asked him why he wasn't coming in. And he kind of just looked at me because he didn't know what to say. And this is from a fellow who is never lost for words. And I kept prodding him until he explained that he went into the mine when he was around 14 and that, to paraphrase him, um, he said he doesn't have the right language to be able to express what he's looking at. He basically said, I don't have the right language, John. To express what I'm looking at, so I don't, I don't have the right education to look at art. And there were there were real tears, and there were just tears in his eyes. And so obviously his his family or friends or just some villain had made him think that because he didn't have the language, he didn't have access to the language of creation. That he was not allowed to look at it. That he didn't have the right. So he was put in a lexical prison. And as he put it, he didn't have the intelligence. He kept repeating for it. And he's one of the smartest people I ever met in those mountains. And he's going around saying that he's not intelligent enough or has the, doesn't have the intelligence to look and appreciate art which is that problem of access, which is something I talked about a little bit about in the last episode of school and education. But it's more this idea of he'd been trained also to not see himself as intelligent. So no matter how many times I told him, it doesn't matter what kind of an education you had or what kind of language you do or don't have, you can still appreciate art. 
doesn't matter what education you had it's just you everybody's got an intelligence we either we know whether something's good or bad irrespective of how well educated we are or not because everyone sees art differently through their own personal lens you might hate a painting i might love it the mayor might hate it uh, your next door neighbor might think it's okay but you don't need a degree from a university to say how you feel about something so I kind of got into that a bit with him because I got well, I got well annoyed by that um, conditioning. Um, seeing this lovely man in this lexical prison, so he smiled, but he still refused to go in because he was still stuck inside the walls of his own lexical prison. And there are other ways too, other than the mayor story, where. There's actually a novel, Honored, We're Briefly Gorgeous, by a young American novelist called Ocean Vuong. Um, and he talks about this reality of lexical imprisonment too, where he writes about toxic patriarchal capitalism. He sees American males caught in a lexical prison based on capitalistic violence and war. Expressions like you're killing it or you're making a killing or you blew them up or I went in there all golden guns blazing and men don't even realize they're using this violent language because it's so common capitalistic success is equated basically to killing people debt and destruction of others, capitalizing on them, monetizing them, commodifying them, especially commodifying women's bodies is seen as a positive way of using language. Well, it isn't. It's a very negative, toxic lexical prison. So hopefully I've given you a few ideas on what I mean by, or examples of what I mean by lexical prisons, and hopefully that'll help in understanding what kind of a lexicon that you use yourself. Um, I'm still unearthing and trying to grapple with my own lexical prisons, or my own lexical prison. Um, but thanks for listening. Uh, I started with a quote from the wonderful French philosopher and mystic and political activist uh, Simone Weil but like last time I'm going to end this episode with an Irish proverb uh, this one literally means an eye evades a thing it does not see an eye evades a thing it does not see Shoknian Shul Ninoch Vecken so, as I always say, this podcast is supported by you, the listener, via the Patreon page. And if you want to support the podcast and help me get paid for doing it, then please head over to patreon.com backslash John Fanning. Uh, if you... Um, if you can afford it, then just donate to that or subscribe to 
uh, iTunes where you can listen to it and leave reviews on iTunes too if you can't afford to to support the podcast that way which is completely cool so that the listenership gets um, bigger so thanks and talk to you next time um, Shlon live August Gunnarian Boharlif <laughs>